I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is Making a Difference, a podcast about people who are making change happen. On the show, you'll hear from people who are making a difference on a day-to-day basis, from the local level in their communities to change on a global scale. You'll learn what makes them tick and the values that are driving their actions. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Ethics should be simple, something about doing what's right, not wrong. So why are ethics, particularly business ethics, such an issue for large and small organisations? We'll think that we're ethical, but too often ethical slip-ups are highlighted in mainstream and social media. So are those in the spotlight bad people, or can good people, be ethically blindsided? In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Attractor Lagan from Managing Values. Attractor is a business ethicist, speaker and writer whose life's work is in challenging business leaders to act on workplace cultures. Workplace cultures that balance what is good for business with what is good for society, and weirdly, better for the bottom line. We talk about what it means when we apply ethical thinking to workplaces operating remotely due to COVID-19, and give some first steps for leaders embarking on the journey. At the very end, we see an example where ethical thinking didn't have a criminal effect, but did have an effect on criminals, for the better. been reading in the papers recently, there have been lots of articles around scandals, misbehaviour, misappropriation of funds, all sorts of ethical issues. And I thought it would be a good time to talk to an ethicist. And as luck would have it, and by way of disclosure, I do some work with Dr. Attractor Lagan of Managing Values. So Attractor, good to see you. Oh, nice to see you too, Steve, over the airwaves. <laughs> Ethics just seems like such an obvious thing. We all think that we're ethical. How is it that you manage to make a living out of this topic? Ethics is actually very complex. To learn how to make ethical decisions is like learning a language like French. Often people confuse ethics with morality, morality being how individuals decide what's right and wrong. But when you move into the ethical area, you're actually looking at all sorts of moralities. For example, in Australia, we have several different moralities that coexist if you're a Christian, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Muslim. So people make decisions in different ways. When that comes to business and organisations where you have multinational workforces with perhaps several different moralities inside the organisation, then it isn't really that clear what the right thing to do is. Often also we tend to think we're more ethical than we actually are. Behaviour science shows us that whereas we have ethical ambition and ethical intent, very often we don't follow through with the action. What would be an example of that? Because I take your point that we think that we know the difference between right and wrong and that we've got a good, and I, I use the word moral compass, you've made it more complex using the term ethics. What makes a decision ethical or unethical? So basically, at its very core, ethics is about relationships and the fact that we're all interdependent. And of course, COVID-19 has demonstrated that to us all, that we're all interdependent. So given that interdependence, you have a choice with every action you take. You can impact positively or you can impact negatively. That is the ethical dimension. You touched on the impact on others or it might be on the time frame, short or long term. Yes, and how that impacts on others as well. Often we make short-term decisions, for example, in the environment. We make many short-term decisions that now have had very long-term impacts and they've given us climate change. 
what are business leaders being asked to do in this environment? So organisational leaders are being asked to be to pay very close attention to the welfare of their people, what's good for society in general, uh, to balance what's good for the organisation with what's good for all its stakeholders. But some might ask, where's the ethical difficulty there? That for a lot of organisations, moving to relocate workers to a home environment would seem like a pretty simple thing to do and the complexity might be in managing the technology. So where's the ethical dimension in that? Definitely the complexity is in the technology. Well, the the ethical issues are, again, how are your actions impacting on others? So the organisation now has a work-at-home workforce. For many of those employees, we would say they've probably uh, had a downshift in, in their psychological well-being. So now they're quite apprehensive about, can I use the new technologies? They're apprehensive Will the organisation be there after COVID-19? How will I make a living? So the organisation has to try and help its people stay psychologically healthy so that they can get on with the tasks in hand. So we can't divorce the person anymore from the task in hand, which is what we often did before. Organisational leaders are now having to pay much closer attention to the psychological well-being of the employee as well as their ability to work online. Is it fair to say that's been a dimension of leadership that's really only emerged in the last, what, 10 years or so? Well, definitely. The Gallup research uh, has shown around the world that only a third of employees are actually engaged in the organisations where they work. And the reason why they're not engaged is because they don't feel there's a fair exchange of value. They don't feel they're valued as human beings. They're only valued for the, the tasks they produce for the organisation. So suddenly, as I say, organisations have had to realise that human dimension and step up to that accountability of emotional and social well-being in order to be able to do the job that's now required of them. Okay, so does that mean that if you want to be an employer of choice, that exploring that ethical dimension becomes more important? It's almost impossible to be the employer of choice unless you actually have ethical accountability. Because to be the employer of choice often means that you are, number one, making sure that you provide a safe environment so that people can feel safe uh, and they can trust that their leaders will do the right thing. That's what makes for an employer of choice. So, yes, you cannot be an employer of choice unless you manage the ethical dimension. In this sort of modern era, I guess, attractive, these sort of management of culture is kind of referred to as the soft skills. Where's the bottom line in all of that? And is that a bit pejorative, calling it the soft skills anyway? Of course, they're the soft skills, according to the the, uh, economists with hard skills. But the economists with hard skills have been exposed by the latest behaviour science research uh, because most of their work is based on the premise that we all think rationally, whereas the science shows us that in many, many situations, we actually think emotionally. So we have to now factor that into decisions. People don't make decisions which the economists think in their own best interests all of the time. Often they make decisions because they find themselves in contexts not of their choosing. So, for example, in an organisation, the number one social pressure in an organisation is to go along to get along. So you will find good people making perhaps the wrong choices in situations because they don't want to offend their peers and their working friends 
or they don't want to raise issues because they may get their friends uh, into trouble. That's why bullying is systemic in Australian organisations. People see it happening but don't take action. We could go in so many directions on that particular topic. Does that mean at times people will have a different self at work and compared with their personal life, I suppose? And how important is it to allow people to bring personal values into work without those personal values overtaking what are supposedly the corporate values? So, for example, I have a client who has 3,000 organisational members. So those 3,000 come to work each day with a different set of personal values based on their home experiences, based on their education, their gender, their life experiences. So the organisation has to basically set its table, identifying a set of shared values that all employees can make decisions out of. So that's why organisations have a set of values. And so they say to their employees, when you come to work and when you're making decisions on behalf of the organisation or decisions that impact on the organisation, then use the organisation's values for those decisions and that way we get a consistent culture. If you look at value statements of organisations, like really a lot of them are tediously boring, aren't they, or predictable. You know, you could have looked at the statements of the financial institutions before the Royal Commission and they all talk about integrity and customer first and all of that sort of thing. They're posted all over the walls and on annual reports. What's the step that's necessary to kind of give life to those values? Probably authenticity and probably integrity because often those organisations they find it very easy to even have a collaborative process to identify a set of values. What they find very difficult is to get their leaders to model the appropriate behaviour that reflects the values. And what leaders do is the loudest message in every organisation. I wish uh, HR departments and OD departments didn't collude with leaders in articulating those values if they're not actually going to walk the talk because it sets the organisation up to fail and it sets the people up to fail. And that's how you diminish trust in an organisation. So so people say, they say we have these values and this behaviour and I see something quite different. It's not safe in this organisation because they're saying one thing but they're doing another. So are you saying that there might be the published values uh, but the conversation around the water cooler, if you like, may well be completely different? There's the published values and supposedly the supporting behaviours, but the behaviours being rewarded inside the organisation are quite different. So there's a huge gap between the walk and the talk. So what can be the impact on social media, for example? Well, ethical accountability is now probably at its clearest when you read some of the comments on social media that people are making about, so for example, some of the financial service companies that are coming out again with their products. And if you scroll through the comments, you'll see the average consumer is saying, wouldn't buy from this organisation. Here's a link to the the report of the Royal Commission on the banking and finance industry. So organisations are being held to account for the negative impacts they've had on their um, customers through social media. Most organisation leaders sort of have an inkling that people watch them. But the complexity of occupying those leadership roles sometimes puts leaders in a spot where they're confronted with more ethical dilemmas, if you like. Is that a fair call? Well, the ethical dimension of leadership, of course, is that you're there for your followers. So the challenge is not that you have to be in every single 
floor telling people or modeling the behavior for people, but you've got to establish an organizational context or culture where the right behaviors are being rewarded. Often uh, leaders fail to purposely design culture. And so the culture emerges organically. And so you can have a different culture in different areas of the business or the organization, depending on who the leader is. So it makes total nonsense of the idea of an organizational set of values where you see different behavior being played out in an organization. Are you saying that in some ways we get it wrong, even by the way that we present an organizational chart, you know, with the leader at the top? Yes, I would like to see the leader in the middle radiating out. The real challenge is how do organizational leaders make it as easy as possible for their people to do the right thing? They don't make it easy by giving them policies and processes. That doesn't make it easy. They make it as easy as possible for people when they make sure that their leaders and their middle managers are modeling the appropriate behavior. So, for example, in the media today, of course, we have the whole controversy around the sports rorts again. Well, if the ministers aren't following appropriate policies, it's very difficult to get leaders in the public sector to follow appropriate policies. And then that goes further down the line. So we're cascading from the top, the tone at the top again, down the organisation. The policy says one thing, but we can actually do another thing. There's a whole conversation there about behaviour science, and I suspect if you're okay, we'll come back and talk about that another time. Behaviour science, unlike ethics, which often people think is about morals, and so they get uh, offended because they think, who gives you the right to tell me what's ethical? Whereas behaviour science is based on science, and it it brings a toolbox on how leaders can design cultures to make it easy for the people to be ethical so that they can withstand all those organisational pressures. So just as a taster on that, what would be your advice to a leader as the the first two or three things that they could do if they were starting on the journey of designing culture? The first thing I would do is raise awareness throughout the organisation that none of us, the science shows us, are as ethical as we think we are. And the reason why we're not as ethical as we think we are is because we change in response to the context that we find ourselves in. So if you want to change behaviour, you've got to change context first. Often we've gone in in the past and thought, well, we'll just change the individual. That has never worked. If you want to change behavior, you change the context first. And that begins with raising the mindsets that people bring to work. Often people bring a mindset to work that says people are basically lazy, for example, might be a mindset. Whereas the science would show us that the majority of people get their sense of self-worth and satisfaction from the jobs they do. So they want to do good work. So we can press that lever and appeal to people from their sense of uh, self-satisfaction or intrinsic satisfaction from the jobs they do. The other mindset we have is that people are basically selfish, whereas the science shows us that's not true. We're actually pro-social. And we saw that during COVID-19, where there was Nurses and doctors selflessly put themselves on the front line because they're pro-social. Anyone who volunteered during COVID-19, anyone who volunteers in general is pro-social. We came from groups in the animal kingdom and we still prefer to be in social groups. We are basically pro-social. So there's all sorts of key insights we can build upon. So instead of running an ethics course that says the assumption that you will do the wrong thing, we'll begin with the assumption 
you want to do the right thing. You're a pro-social individual. You get your self-worth and self-identity from the things you do. We're going to help you protect your ethical reputation. Change of context is change of view in some ways. Change of context is change of behaviour. Attract Lagan, just a final question. What's the most unusual gig that you've had delivering ethical workshops? Well, we've thought about this. We've had some very strange gigs. For example, we've done an ethical audit for a bishop for his whole diocese. Uh, but perhaps the, uh, the funniest uh, one has been inside a prison, doing workshops for prison boards, uh, locating them inside the prison, getting them to empathise with the surroundings, the inmates. And that, that's been very challenging on all sorts of fronts, but very rewarding. Ethics is very rewarding. It's complex, but it's very rewarding when you engage with the ethical dimension of your actions. That is a fabulous example of a different view and a different context for the people that would have been involved in that. It's been an absolute pleasure. Attractor Lagan, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Civic Mind, specialists in governance and ethics for local and state government agencies. To find out more, head to the website civicmind.com.au. And so you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to Making a Difference in your favourite podcast app. And if you like the episode, please leave me a five-star review. It really helps other people to find the show. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and I'll speak to you next time.